ECO Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport for WFHB I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshalek. Coming up later in today's feature report, Enrique Sands with the Indiana Environmental Reporter will discuss environmental justice grants, which covers federal grants to communities to ameliorate the effects of environmental injustice. And now for your environmental reports. With the legislature in session, there are many bills that will impact the quality of life in Indiana. Will the legislature address real problems, or will special interests dominate again this year? The issues are obvious to a lot of people. To the Indiana cities that are taking steps to cut their emissions, to the Hoosier farmers who are seeing reduced crop yields from wetter springs and hotter summers, to the high school students who are scared for what their future may look like, demanding Indiana leaders make a change. Indy Star is covering the session. They report that the state legislature seems to have blinders on when it comes to climate change, according to environmental experts and advocates. Three pieces of legislation have been proposed this session. Two bills would create task forces to tackle climate change issues. The other is a resolution that says, quote, the Indiana General Assembly acknowledges climate change as a serious problem for Indiana, unquote. Environmental groups across the state are frustrated, but not surprised that the legislature is so reluctant to address climate change. Indiana has a long way to go on taking climate change seriously as a threat to our economy, our environment, and Hoosiers, said Sean Mobley, the Senior Policy Associate for Climate and Clean Energy at the Nature Conservancy in Indiana. The Indiana Capitol Chronicle reports that a nationwide comparison of electric utility performance by an Illinois consumer advocacy group found that customers in states that are heavily reliant on fuel oil and natural gas, as in the Northeast and South, tend to pay more than those with larger amounts of carbon-free generation, among other findings. The report by the Illinois-based Citizens Utility Board ranked all 50 states and the District of Columbia for utility reliability, affordability, and environmental responsibility using 2020 public data from the U.S. Energy Information Administration, the Federal Environmental Protection Agency, and the U.S. Census Bureau. Compared to its peers, Indiana ranked near the bottom at 43 out of 51 for overall electric utility performance with its lowest individual scores in the environmental responsibility sector. In terms of affordability and reliability, the Hoosier State was closer to the middle at 36 and 27, respectively. 
The average residential electric bill is below the national average, with Hoosiers paying $120 each month compared to $125. However, the average annual electricity cost as a percentage of median income is higher in Indiana than the national average. Hoosiers spend roughly 2.18% of their income on electricity, above the national average of 2.9%. Indiana ranked 48th in environmental responsibility with high emissions from the electric sector in terms of carbon dioxide, sulfur dioxide, and nitrogen oxide. Compared to other states, Indiana lags when it comes to generating clean energy, ranking at 40 out of 51. For overall performance across those categories, the top 10 were starting with the highest ranked Washington, Nevada, the District of Columbia, South Dakota, Illinois, Colorado, Arizona, Minnesota, Oregon, and Nebraska. The bottom 10, starting with the lowest ranked, were West Virginia, Alaska, Mississippi, Massachusetts, Louisiana, Michigan, Alabama, Georgia, Indiana, and Connecticut. Midwest Energy says the appeal of electric cars is straightforward. Owners get to save money by skipping trips to the gas station and feel good about doing their part to cut carbon emissions. That's part of the reason why U.S. sales are currently soaring, with electric vehicles expecting to make up 10% of the cars and light-duty trucks on the roads in 2030. This is good news for the climate, since transportation is the single largest source of emissions in the country. The decision to switch to an electric-powered vehicle benefits 9 out of 10 U.S. drivers, but the lowest-income Americans get left behind, according to the results of a new study from the University of Michigan. A group of researchers at the school's Center for Sustainable Systems analyzed data on income level, gas, and electricity costs, and vehicle-specific greenhouse gas emissions for every census tract in the United States. They found that over 90% of vehicle-owning households would see reductions in both carbon emissions and the amount they spend on powering their car by switching to an electric vehicle. These benefits are especially pronounced on the West Coast, where some households would cut their annual transportation bills by $600 or more and slash their annual carbon emissions by more than 4.1 metric tons, the study found. The pattern does not hold true, however, for those with the lowest incomes, more than half of whom would continue to be burdened by high transportation costs, defined as more than 4% of their income after trading in their gas-powered for an electric car. The study found that households that would receive little benefit are concentrated in Midwestern states with coal and natural gas-reliant energy grids, as well as in Alaska and Hawaii, the two states with the highest cost electricity. The New York Times reports the world remained firmly in warming's grip last year, with extreme summer temperatures in Europe, China, and elsewhere contributing to 2022 being the fifth hottest year on record, European climate researchers said this week. The eighth warmest years on record have now occurred since 2014, the scientists from the European Union's Copernicus Climate Change Service reported, and 2016 remains the hottest year ever. NASA and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration also issued analysis of global temperatures for 2022 on Thursday, and their findings were similar. NASA's analysis ranked 2022 as tied with 2015 for fifth warmest, 
while Noah had last year as the sixth warmest. But ranks only tell you part of the story, said Leslie Vos, a NOAA scientist. What's more important, he said, is that the past eight years are the warmest ever. Each of the past four decades has been warmer than one that preceded it, Dr. Vos added. Overall, the world is now 1.2 degrees Celsius, or 2.1 degrees Fahrenheit, hotter than it was in the second half of the 19th century, when emissions of planet-warming carbon dioxide from the burning of fossil fuels became widespread. The Purdue Climate Lab predicts a 6 degree Fahrenheit rise in the temperature by 2050. This large increase will melt a lot of glacial ice. The melt currently does not keep up with the temperature change. It's a lagging indicator. Glacial ice melt may cause an ocean level rise of 3 to 6 feet by 2050. When equilibrium is eventually reached, the rise could reach 50 feet. The New York Times reports that America's greenhouse gas emissions from energy and industry rose last year, moving the nation in the opposite direction from its climate goals, according to preliminary estimates published by the Rhodium Group, a nonpartisan research firm. Emissions ticked up 1.3% even as renewable energy surpassed coal power nationwide for the first time in over six decades, with wind solar, and hydropower generating 22% of the country's electricity compared with 20% from coal. Growth in natural gas power generation also compensated for coal's decline. The quest for reducing our carbon footprint has not seen a single year in which the atmospheric carbon dioxide dropped since the first year measurements were taken at Mauna Loa, Hawaii in 1958. Thus, it's ridiculous that some still think it's possible to halt warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. The world's glaciers are in serious trouble. A new study published in Science calculated how different degrees of warming would impact the more than 215,000 glaciers that exist outside Antarctica and Greenland. It concluded that almost half of them could melt by the end of the century, even if policymakers succeed in limiting warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. This is the most comprehensive and rigorous analysis of future glacier trends to date, University of Bristol glaciologist Professor Jonathan Bamber, who was not involved with the study, told Carbon Brief, quote, There are some sobering statistics, such as half of all glaciers will have disappeared by 2100, even at 1.5 degrees Celsius. Based on current national climate pledges, the situation will be a lot worse with serious implications for communities that rely on glacial runoff for water resources, end quote. The vast majority of climate scientists conclude there is no chance of meeting the 1.5 Celsius goal. Glaciers are highly important. They provide water for approximately 1.9 billion people worldwide, as the Washington Post noted. Losing them deprives millions of people of this vital resource, as well as increasing the risk of glacier-related hazards like floods and landslides, according to a prospective paper on findings, also published in Science Thursday. What's more, glaciers currently contribute as much to sea level rise as the Greenland and Antarctic ice sheets. Quote, Glaciers provide drinking water, agricultural water, hydropower, and other services that support billions of people. End quote. National Snow and Ice Center deputy lead scientist Twyla Moon, who was not involved with the research, told the Associated Press by email. 
The paper was the first to look at how the climate crisis might impact each of the world's glaciers between 2015 and 2100 and found that they were more at risk than previous estimates suggested, Carbon Brief explained. Study lead author Dr. David Rounds, an assistant professor at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, explained that the research team was able to build on a study that detailed glacier loss over the past two decades. They found that if world leaders managed to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius as per the goal of the Paris Agreement, around 104,000 glaciers would melt and sea levels would rise by just less than four inches, according to the Washington Post. This sea level rise did not include rise from melt on Greenland or Antarctica. If temperatures rise to 2.7 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, which was what national policies put the world on track for ahead of the COP26 climate conference, that would melt 68% of the world's glaciers and raise sea levels by 4.5 inches, pushing more than 10 million people below the high tide line, the Associated Press reported. It would also essentially wipe out the glaciers of Central Europe, Western North America, and New Zealand, according to Carbon Brief. Four degrees of warming would make melt 83% of the world's glaciers. A four-degree warming, adding in that from Greenland and Antarctica, would bring a sea level rise of at least 50 feet. There would be no ice at the North Pole. However, while the news the scientists reported was bleak, they did not see it as an excuse to give up on mitigating climate change. For many small glaciers, it is too late, study co-author Regine Hawk, a glaciologist at both the University of Alaska Fairbanks and the University of Oslo in Norway, told the Associated Press. However, globally, our results clearly show that every degree of global temperature matters in order to keep as much ice as possible locked up in the glaciers. Inside climate change, says forests managed by indigenous peoples and other local communities in the Amazon region draw vast amounts of planet-warming carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, while the rest of the rainforest has become a net source of the greenhouse gas, a new report has found. The discrepancy results from differences in deforestation rates between the two types of land. The study from the World Resources Institute, a nonprofit global research organization focused on solving environmental challenges, adds to a growing body of evidence showing that land held by native peoples and other local communities around the world has better environmental outcomes than government and privately owned land. A New York Times story provides a fascinating insight into our climate long ago. Eva Maria Sadowski, a postdoctoral research at the Natural History Museum in Berlin, didn't have a particular agenda in mind when she decided to borrow the biggest fossil flower preserved in amber ever found. Quote, I did it without any expectations. I just did it because I was curious, end quote, she said. Her curiosity pulled the thread of more than a 150-year-long case of mistaken identity, resulting in a clearer picture of what the Baltic amber forests of northern Europe looked like more than 33 million years ago. The preserved flower bloomed about halfway between the extinction of the last non-bird dinosaurs and the evolution of humans, who found it in the 19th century in territory that is now part of Russia. 
1872, scientists classified it as Stuartia kololuski, an extinct flowering evergreen. The amber flower's identity hadn't been revised until Dr. Sadowski's paper of, in Scientific Reports was published last week. Plants in amber are a rarity. Among Baltic amber specimens, only 1-3% to of trapped organisms are botanical. This might result from a bias towards animals by amber collectors, but it also might be because animals wander into pools of sticky resin while plants have to accidentally fall in it. While they're harder to come by, plants and amber provide paleobotanists with a wealth of information, Dr. Sadowski said. Amber, which forms from tree resin, preserves ancient specimens in three dimensions, revealing all the delicate features that you normally don't get in other fossil types. The flower that caught Dr. Sadowski's eye was an inch wide, three times bigger than the next largest blossom preserved in amber ever discovered. A colleague had told her of the flower's massive size before she sought it out, and she wondered if he was exaggerating. He wasn't. She then decided to see what 150 years of technological advances might be able to reveal about Stuartia Kowalowski. Once she had the flower in hand, Dr. Sadowski polished the amber block with a damp leather cloth and toothpaste, a technique she had picked up from her doctoral advisor, Alexander Schmidt, who learned some of his methods from a dentist. Under a powerful microscope, Dr. Sadowski saw perfectly preserved details of the flower's anatomy, along with specks of pollen, which she used to see if the plant had been sorted into the correct family 150 years ago. It wasn't. After isolating and imaging pollen grains from the sample, her co-author on the study, Krista Charlotte Hoffman, at the University of Vienna, investigated the pollen along with microscopic features of the flower's anatomy. That pointed to an entirely different genus group than had been assigned in 1872. Simplicos, a genus of flowering shrubs and small trees not found in Europe today, but widespread in modern Asia. The redesignation of the giant flower helps to flesh out what scientists know about the ecological diversity of the Baltic amber forest. It also sheds light on how Earth's climate has changed over the last 35 million odd years. The presence of Simplicos helps to show that ancient Europe was balmier than it has been for most of human history. The climate 35 million years ago was cooling as a result of the India tectonic plate crashing into the Asian plate around 50 million years ago. The collision brought about the Himalayas, which absorbed carbon dioxide and started to cool the entire Earth. About 35 million years ago, ice began to form on the Antarctic continent. Ice at the North Pole began to form only after more cooling over several millions of years. Enrique Sands with the Indiana Environmental Reporter will discuss environmental justice grants, which covers federal grants to communities to ameliorate the effects of environmental injustice. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency announced $100 million in grants are now available for environmental justice projects around the nation. 
the largest ever provided by the agency. The agency began accepting applications for two programs that will help fund local, environmental, or public health projects directly through community-based nonprofit organizations and through state governments. This is EPA Administrator Michael Regan. Since day one, President Biden vowed that the federal government would work in common pursuit to advance environmental justice and racial equity. EPA is at the heart of that mission. And from the moment I was sworn in, I committed to embedding environmental justice into EPA's DNA, recognizing that for decades, too many communities, particularly low-income communities and communities of color, have borne the burden of climate and environmental pollution. We also know that too many of these communities have faced barrier after barrier trying to access the federal funds they need and deserve. This administration has committed to putting an end to that injustice through combined resources from annual appropriations and a major boost from President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act. EPA is advancing our mission to create cleaner and healthier communities for all, especially those most directly and acutely impacted by environmental harm. About $30 million will be awarded directly to groups through the Environmental Justice Collaborative Problem-Solving Cooperative Agreement Program, including $5 million for small community-based nonprofit organizations with five or fewer employees, 50 awards of $500,000, and 30 awards of $150,000. The EPA will also award about $70 million in funding through the Environmental Justice Government-to-Government Program. The agency said about $20 million each will be provided for state, local, and tribal governments to be used in conjunction with community-based organizations. About $10 million will be for U.S. territories and remote tribes with limited access to community-based organization partners. The agency said special consideration will be given to projects that address climate change, disaster resilience, or emergency preparedness, as well as projects that are located in or benefit rural areas. Projects that conduct health impact assessments will also be given special consideration. Groups can apply for the grants online until April 10th. That information is on our website, indianaenvironmentalreporter.org. For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshalek. Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in south-central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. The Eagles Over Monroe event returns with a full slate of programs and activities continuing now and running through Tuesday, January 31st. Each day offers a special event or activity. To learn about all of the activities and to sign up, go to the DNR website. Learn all about backyard birds at McCormick's Creek State Park on Saturday, January the 28th, beginning at 10 a.m. 
meet in the bird viewing room at the Nature Center to learn about the feeding the birds and not the raccoons. Don't forget about Whooper Wednesdays at the Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area this coming Wednesday, February 1st, beginning at 8 a.m. Walk the property to spot resident winter birds, including the endangered whooping cranes. Meet at the Visitor Center and dress for the weather. The Brown County State Park Hike Series continues with a The Lake That Never Was hike on Saturday, February the 4th from 11 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. You will learn about Taylor Hollow Lake, a lake that was started but never finished. The hike is about 2.5 miles long and is very rugged. Lots of steep climbs with ruts and several creek crossings. Dress for the weather and wear waterproof boots. Meet at the Nature Center. Take the full snow moon hike at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, February 4th from 8 to 9.30 p.m. Join Anthony for a one-mile hike on Trail 1 and 4 to learn all the history and folklore of the full snow moon. Meet at the Lakeview Activity Center. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy. Our feature was prepared and presented by Enrique Sainz with the Indiana Environmental Reporter. Our script today was assembled by Juliana Daly and edited by Patrick Callanan. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callanan produced today's show and edited the audio. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshalek. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report. A volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB. In Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org. Thank you.